Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. I still have this flaccid, or is it flaccid, mic. That reminds me of a funny thing with a friend. I think I've told this story before. I was saying to the mic, stay. Um, friend, long, long, long time ago in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, had a pet tarantula, <laughs> which is strange to start with. Um, he'd hang the tarantula's molts. You know, they literally step out of their skin, like I think once a year. And w it looks like another tarantula. They, they, it's, it's unbelievable. He would save the molts and hang them on his Christmas tree. <laughs> oh. Anyway, I do remember him uh, saying, you've got to see this. I taught, I can't remember the tarantula's name. I'm going to call him Larry. I taught Larry how to do a trick. I said, come on watch watch this and he we go into the little sunroom where larry lived um and there was larry doing what he usually does and my friend said larry stay <laughs> okay isn't that odd how I just said to my mic, stay, and then this whole wonderful memory comes up. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, God. Okay. Maybe it wasn't that funny. Whatever. Um, hi. We made it to Friday. Hey. <laughs> Heading into a long weekend. Um, I will be amongst the millions of Americans taking to the road and to the air. Oh, God. And something's bound to go wrong. I'm trying to get myself in a zen-like state so I can handle everything. But I feel like today I have a lot of things that I really want to share with you. Uh, sometimes there is this, uh, you know, embarrassment of, of riches. I mean, of things that I read that I think, oh, my God, I got to i got to share this with you. Um, the first one that just, again, tickled me, pink. I don't know, that's not a phrase, is it? Tickled me pink. Yesterday, I noted that uh, the loathsome Stephen Mnuchin, our Secretary of the Treasury, uh, told Congress that for some totally r ridiculous um reason that doesn't stand up to any scrutiny, that somehow the uh, change from Andrew Jackson to Harriet Tubman on our $20 bills was going to be uh, postponed, and postponed astonishingly for, I guess, up to 10, ye <laughs> ten years. Um, he muttered something about, no sense. I mean, we know the reason, because it's Harriet Tubman replacing Andrew Jackson. 
uppity black woman, Donald Trump's hero. Genocider, slave owner, but Donald Trump's hero. Okay. So when I saw this headline in the Washington Post, I went nuts with joy. Here it is. Harriet Tubman is already appearing on $20 bills, whether Trump likes it or not. And I thought, how the hell? And it turns out, this is, I, 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 sometimes, you know, I have, I, I'm a bit of a misanthrope, especially these days. However, sometimes I so love some people. Oh, my God. So right after Mnuchin makes his mumbling, Harriet Tubman, 10 years, <coughs> a guy who's a designer in New York, tweeted. We'll, we'll see about that. Now, how could some guy in New York be able to tell the Treasury Secretary, uh-uh, we ain't waiting 10 years, what he did? He's 33 years old. His, his name is Dano Wall. And he created a 3D stamp. You know, an ink stamp that can be used exactly on a $20 bill. You just stamp Andrew Jackson's face, and lo and behold, he turns in to Harriet Tubman. Not a little, it's a strange thing, but yes, it definitely ain't Andrew Jackson anymore, and it's definitely Harriet Tubman. He immediately produced a whole bunch of these things. I mean, this just happened the other day, and, and they were sold out immediately. And he's, he's producing more. He says my, his goal is to get 5,000 of these stamps out there. I, I want one. I want one. Um, and he says if 5,000 people who have those stamps consistently stamp all their 20s, and that's pretty much all any of us have these days, he said it really would create a significant amount of Harriet Tubman $20 bills uh, in circulation. And at that point, it'd be impossible to ignore, and it would be, I mean, is that not the greatest idea? I love this guy. Dano Wall, God bless you. So um, I think that's all I have on that. Uh, but I want one of those stamps. I don't know if we have a way of getting one. Um, Wall says that, you know, he, he knew that, that, um, oh, wait, uh, wait, 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 excuse me while I, excuse me. Uh, what's that horrible woman's name who worked for Trump? Omarosa, who then fell out with him and now speaks against him. Omarosa, in her book, wrote that when Trump was shown a picture of Harriet Tubman, people were saying, this is the woman who the Obama administration said will be appearing on the $20 bill in, uh, to replace your hero, Andrew Jackson, and Omarosa said that Trump's response was, 
you want me to put that face on the $20 bill? Uh, has the ring of plausibility and truth about it to me. And Wall says um, he himself had, knew the name Harriet Tubman, knew she was famous, uh, but didn't really quite know what she had done. And when he learned she was a spy for the Union, an escaped slave who kept going back, that she was buried with military honors, that she freed over a thousand people by herself, risking her life every time. And he said, the more I learned about her, the more in awe I was. And so he created these stamps with a 3D laser cutter. He said, got some engravable rubber, and that's how I made the stamp face. Now, I don't, I don't have a clue about how any of that happens, but then, bango. So uh, he was going to just uh, do a hundred of the stamps. Um, he this was all before Mnuchin, but boy, did he! When Mnuchin made his remarks, he just went berserk. So he'd already created the stamp uh, in 2018 um, because he got a grant for a thousand dollars to do it from something called the Awesome Foundation, which, uh, which says that it uh, is a, advancing the global community um, of awesome in the universe, $1,000 at a time. So he was very careful not to violate any treasury laws on the defacing of currency, um, which I guess is if, if you make a bill illegible, uh, that's against the law. You can't cover any texts or numbers or anything uh, or use it to serve as an advertisement. But outside of that, you know, you can write on it. You can mark on it. I'm sure you've all seen um, bills with that on it. So anyway, it, yeah, it just doesn't tell us how we can get one of them because I really want one. Yeah, Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill already happening. I just hope the people who have the stamps are conscientious. God damn it! Excuse me. Someone's telling me that our audio is very low again. Something's happening again. Um, I'll tell you what, guys. I know we're heading into a holiday weekend, but we have had a wonderful respite um, of these kinds of complaints, and they started up again this week. So something's wrong again, and I'll be, uh, my audio will not be low when I uh, confront the people who I think, th think this is fixed. Because it ain't. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. God damn it. All right. I'm sorry if I screamed at some of you there for a second because for some people their audio is fine. So when I screamed like that, they I startled them to say the least. Anyway, so there was that that I just had to had to share. Then there was this. 
that I thought, what a key some people are innovative. Some people are creative. Some people, like like our Tubman stamp guy, like uh, the guy I'm about to tell you about, are just able to do something that most of us don't do, which is not be shackled by the way things are. Um, they're obviously never particularly comfortable with status quo. They can imagine things in a different way than what exists. And uh, I'm always blown away by them. But here's another one, and I'm surprised I did not know about this before. His name is John Koza, K-O-Z-A. Um, and... It says here, although it doesn't get into it, he he is the person who helped invent scratch-off lottery tickets. Now, fine, I'm so opposed to lotteries and tickets, and I see it as, as a regressive tax on, on the poor. But um, he's one of those guys who invents stuff. And he has looked with alarm over the last 15 years at what our electoral college has done to the country. And he founded something called the, I'll get it, I'll get it, he founded something called the National po National Popular Vote, which is all about not necessarily eliminating the Electoral College, which I thought was the only way we could gain any ground in this regard. He says, no, let's just eliminate the influence of the Electoral College. See, that wouldn't have occurred to me. And so... He has quietly been working with legislators all over the country, and he has already managed to get 15 states of this country, Nevada being the most recent, and this is how I found out about him. Nevada on Tuesday did it, and what they did, all these 15 states, is they passed legislation that would grant its electoral votes. Once a presidential election was held and a candidate got most of the votes in that state, they would not necessarily have their votes go to who won their state but they would put their electoral votes to the candidate who won the national vote. Now, see, that's a way you get rid of the Electoral College right there. Because states do have, I think, the right to dispense, to, to sort through and decide what they do with their electors. 
some states have decided it's winner take all. Whoever wins their state gets all. Some are proportional so that uh, they figure whatever percentage a candidate gets, that's the percentage of the electoral votes they will get from that state. And so it seems that President, I'm no lawyer, tells us that states have this ability. And he's talked 15 states into saying, you know, we got a problem with this electoral college because it's in, standing in the way of democracy, <laughs> of the people's uh, vo votes uh, being equal because the way the electoral college is set up, somebody in Wyoming's vote counts gazillions of times more than mine, and I don't like it. So Nevada's governor is the latest. Also the District of Columbia has done this. And what it is, here's how it's going to work. None of them will do this. I didn't tell you the whole bill. This will kick in only when a critical number of states agrees to do this. So in other words, let me, I'll, I'll just read exactly what it says here. Um, when a legisl state legislature passes this legislation, they become part of an agreement, part of an interstate pact that holds each state who joins up by passing this legislation to agree to switch to this new system when they amongst them have 195 electoral votes. Once they, these states, represent, I guess, a plurality of the nation's population, I think I got this right. Then they all agree, okay? That's what we're doing. The states, um, oh wait, it's not 195. The states that have already done this amongst them have already 195 electoral votes. I should have, I'm not good at explaining. Anything that has to do with numbers, I can't explain. The 15 states already have 195 electoral votes. The pact takes effect once enough states have done this to guarantee the national winner 270 electoral votes, which gives a candidate victory. So in other words, what they're saying is, no, it's bypassing the electoral college. It's saying, we will all agree that we throw, we move to this and put our electors in the winner's column when we, in fact, do represent 270 electors, which is the way it should be. It says here, momentum is building. Just this year, Colorado, New Mexico, and Delaware have all joined the pact. 
Maine and Oregon are right now considering joining the pact. And what this guy, John Koza, says is, is true. He says this has been happening to us um, constantly. Um, in 2004, George W. Bush won the election even though the people of the country voted for John Kerry. And then it happened again. And the fact is, year after year, he's watching this happen, and he says what it does is it makes a candidate just go for the electoral votes to get to that 270. So they're, they totally ignore certain states. Um, and some states just get left out. They don't count, essentially. And that can't be what is allowed in a country that likes to think of itself as a representative democracy. In 2016, as we unhappily know, know, Hillary Clinton received three million more votes than Trump. But apparently her voters were living in the wrong states. That's nonsense. In all, five presidents in our nation's history have become presidents by virtue of the Electoral College because, in fact, these five presidents all lost the vote. And what we unhappily know is that two of those five no wait, 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 wait. two of the last three two of the last three uh, Trump and Bush were elected in this way I mean I'm, I'm sorry for some reason I'm having trouble with this story but is this brilliant or what and they actually believe that they can get a critical mass of states by 2020 by the 2024 election um, of course this ain't gonna happen if uh, it'll have legal challenges uh, left right and center constitutional scholars are a little dubious um, If Congress doesn't sanction this, it could be in big trouble, but I don't know. I had thought the only way was to obviously amend the Constitution and get rid of the Electoral College. But this seems to have figured out a really smart end run. And, um, okay, here's what I'm being told about. This drives me crazy. The audio's okay if I literally stay exactly where I am right now, right? 
So this mic is a unidirectional mic. If I stay right in front of it, um, I'm being told that I come across just fine, but only with things pretty much ramped all the way up. And people are saying they still have to turn down after my show if they want to tune in to another podcast. So I'm going to try to get this uh, this done. Oh, Jonathan's done some homework on the Harriet Tubman stamps. Oh, they're selling. Okay, wait, 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 wait. You can get them. Where'd you get this? Where'd you get this? Is this Amazon? Oh, Etsy. On Etsy, the Tubman stamp. They're sold out right now, but he's gearing up. Um, I got a, yeah, okay, this is fantastic. It says here, they're making an announcement. There has been a surge of interest in this stamp. Uh, I will restock with new stamps every week or so. Please check back. Um, and how much do they cost? Are they telling us that? They're priceless, if you ask me. So, I don't know. I'm not seeing a price. But that's because I'm not particularly smart about this stuff. Okay, that's great. It's on Etsy. Um, the other thing I got <coughs> excited about was a piece, believe it or not, on the opinion page of our local newspaper, the Post-Gazette, written by a woman who clearly has an animus toward Jeffrey Romoff and UPMC, um, equivalent to mine. Again, for those of you who might not be from around these parts, UPMC pretty much owns Pittsburgh. Uh, it's the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC. Their logo sits atop the highest building when you're driving into Pittsburgh and you're still 20 miles out from some places, you can see UPMC. When you fly into Pittsburgh and the plane flies, you know, somewhat over our downtown area, there it stands, UPMC. Uh, they're extraordinarily rich. And of course, a nonprofit pays no taxes, you know. And UPMC, more than five years ago, acting in the cutthroat manner it does, decided that anybody having high mark insurance. <laughs> which is a whole friggin' hell of a lot of people, would not be able to be considered in network if they went to a UPMC facility. This is because Highmark purchased the only other hospital in Pittsburgh that provided any competition to it and that is Allegheny Health, Allegheny General Hospital, it was called then. And now it's the Allegheny Health Network, 
the infusion of money from Highmark here was to get Allegheny sort of up, up, up its profile, um, enraged Jeffrey Romoff, the CEO of UPMC. How dare you allow competition? So there was this thing saying to high people who had Highmark insurance, uh, I don't care if you've been seen here all of your life, if all of your doctors are at UPMC. Uh, you're going to pay out-of-network costs if you keep that Highmark insurance. And then, of course, UPMC created its own insurance, UPMC insurance. And acting like this cutthroat... Well, certainly not acting like a charitable institution that gets all of these perks for being a charitable institution. And the nightmare stories of people losing their doctors or not knowing, I mean, have been incredible. Right now, the attorney general of the state um is pursuing, although it doesn't look good, I guess, it took this to the Supreme Court of the state, trying to get, it's a, why can't I explain anything today? Never mind. I've just got to get to this wonderful piece by Karen Kane. First of all, let me just say this. I will read directly from her. Couldn't have said it better myself. And apparently today, obviously, couldn't say it better than myself. Here's what Karen Kane writes. The UPMC CEO, Jeffrey Romoff, also known as Darth Vader. The UPMC CEO, that, okay, that other part was me, not her. The UPMC CEO and the board that supposedly supports and guides him are amoral betrayers of a community that built UPMC to what it is today. A $20 billion predator business covered in the protective cloak of a nonprofit. With our tax dollars, our charitable contributions, our federally funded grants, and our childlike faith in UPMC's supposed mission of providing life-changing medicine for all. We have positioned the company, our own Frankenstein's monster, to do exactly what it is doing now, which is tightening its stranglehold on the regional health care market and <laughs> beyond. So you have Jeffrey Romoff, CEO, with the silent acquiescence of his board of directors continuing on this cutthroat quest to vanquish his only competitor, 
Highmark slash Allegheny Health Network. So what Karen Kane did is she went to two former board members, former board members, but not just former board members because these are two of the highest profile uh, and most powerful men in Pittsburgh. One of them I think the world of, and that is Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill, you might remember, was uh, the chairman and CEO of Alcoa. He was a trained economist. His special interest is health care. He was secretary of the U.S. Treasury, a job now held by Steven Mnuchin. <coughs> he was president of International Paper, chairman of the Rand Corporation, deputy director of the U.S. Office of Management and Budget. I mean, this guy on a national level <coughs> and local level has been an extraordinary asset to Pittsburgh and to the country. The other guy she talked to who used to be on the board is the former chair of PNC Bank, not, excuse me, CEO, and uh, that is Jim Rohr, and he now chairs uh, the CMU board and the EQT board, equitable, what was equitable gas. These are two high-powered, smart cookies, both of whom had tenures on the board under Jeffrey Romoff. So they know the board, they know Jeffrey Romoff, they know UPMC. And she went and talked to him and said, what do you think any of us can do? O'Neill, the former Treasury Secretary, said that when he, it was right after he, he resigned the, as Treasury Secretary. Do you remember that? He found the Bush cabinet, he served under W, the Bush cabinet a sham. <laughs> that no, everything was a done deal when it was presented to the cabinet. And I mean, to him, that was like, what? Ludicrous. It was all sort of already done by Dick Cheney, right? So he said, I'm out of here. And it was shortly after that, by the way, that I had my first sighting of him, and it endeared me to him forevermore. I was shopping at a local grocery store uh, that no longer exists, actually, because it was gobbled up by the essentially the UPMC of grocery stores here, Giant Eagle. But I was at that grocery store with my cart and came around a corner and banged into uh, the former Treasury Secretary who had just returned. And I thought of saying, I thought of saying, God bless you, you are, and then I thought, just shut up, look down, say, excuse me, I'm sorry, and move your cart. So I didn't engage him. We both said, I'm sorry. And I thought, wait a minute, 
that's like one of the most powerful people, you know, ever. I mean, this is a, and he's doing the grocery shopping. I was so stunned. He was, he was doing grocery shopping. He clearly was. He ended up in the next lane next to me. Uh, he was married at the time, but who knows? His, you mean the little woman didn't do the shopping? Good God. Well, he was out of a job. He'd been Treasury Secretary. What else is he supposed to do now? Anyway, that always endeared me to him. So he was asked about his tenure on the board, which he got onto uh, immediately after ending up jobless for a while. Came home to Pittsburgh, and they jumped right on him. You got to be on the UPMC board, and he said, oh, "Okay." And here's what he says about that: It was a mistake. Quote, I discovered quickly that the UPMC board was a sham. A lot of, see, he's telling us a lot of these boards are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be above the CEO. And a lot of these boards don't do that. They are obsequious, yes, men and women, too the very people they're supposed to be the boss of. So he said the board meetings were a sham. They were show and tell about how wonderful we were and how wonderful everybody else wasn't. He kept trying to big, say, could, could, I, could we get some numbers about how this is performing, about how, how many... Uh, Accidents are occurring here about and stymied at every turn. And he, he tells Karen Kane, they don't publish the facts about the people they harm or the people they injure uh, because, you know why? They're not good at what they do. Did you just hear that? That's coming from Paul O'Neill, the straightest talking guy I am aware of in public and private service. They don't publish the facts about the people they harm and injure because they're not good at what they do. And here's the irony, he says. There are wonderful, talented, educated people who work there but they work at a place that on balance is a disaster. They were dreadful. UPMC is not a good place. I resigned. These are the words of Paul O'Neill. See, very few people in these positions are willing to be that direct. Tell the truth to the little people like us. That's why I love this guy. Jim Rohr, the former PNC CEO and now the chair of the CMU board, is more in the cut of the usual corporate CEO. He doesn't speak ill of, he's very, and as a matter of fact, when Karen Kane went to talk to him, she found him reticent. Unlike Paul O'Neill, uh, James Rohr remained 
for the record, silent about what he had seen at board meetings. He wouldn't, he wouldn't respond. And he said, no, that is confidential and I'm not going to talk about that. He acknowledged this much. I didn't like what I saw. And then his reticence sort of stripped away. And this from this buttoned up former head of a major bank says this. I think that it's unfair that thousands of people, people who've donated money, donated to this charity, donated to build UPMC over the years, can't go there anymore? All of us, through our taxes, our subsidies, charitable dollars, we built, we built UPMC. And now, again, here are the... James Rohr saying this. Paul O'Neill shooting off is one thing, because that's his nature. James Rohr saying what I'm about to read to you is amazing to me. UPMC has never raised capital like a private company would. They're you, they've used those charitable dollars that we've sent them to build UPMC. And they've done some wonderful things. But nobody who ever gave any of that money or raised any of that money and all of us who subsidized them ever had any idea that access to their facilities would be restricted for, for any reason. I simply don't understand, James Rohr goes on, how the board of directors, representatives of the people, representatives of the community of Pittsburgh, how can they restrict access because you don't have the right kind of insurance? In my career, Rohr says, I have had to answer to stockholders and analysts and the Securities and Exchange Commission. Who does Jeffrey Romoff answer to? It's supposed to be his board, theoretically. By allowing him to go forward with this, this vendetta, this attempt to strangle Allegheny Health, they are saying they're approving everything he does. If they are, then they should put that in writing. Rohr thinks every member of that board should put in writing, yes, I agree with Jeffrey Romoff. I signed off on this too. That's amazing. And Roar again. UPMC wants to have Blue Cross business from all over the country. By the way, did you know that? They'll take Blue... Highmark is Blue Cross. Highmark, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. They want Blue Cross business from across the country. 
but they won't take Highmark Blue Cross because it's right here and it's a competitor to them. And they want to take Highmark every place but Pittsburgh. This is all about herding Highmark and Allegheny Health. It is Jeffrey Romoff's mission to destroy them. It is not to serve the public. Jeez, I cannot tell you how strong these words are coming from these two community leaders. I cannot tell you how strong. He says, over the last hundred years and more, everyone had access. All of a sudden, somebody wakes up. And if you have blue eyes, you can't come anymore. UPMC's facilities are charitable assets. They are for the community. And just one more word from the more, I mean, I, I'm so stunned that Jim Rohr, who, like, I don't see as, you know, ever putting himself in an anti-establishment position, that he is taking on Romoff by name and the board calling him out. That, to me, is huge. Back to the more talkative uh, former Treasury Secretary talking about Romoff. He's, I mean, it makes my calling him Darth Vader all these years look like, see, I mean, I'm in good company. Here is, uh, yeah, here he is talking about Romoff. Jeff, he's on first name basis with him, Jeff is the evil evil person on top of all this. He calls him evil, which is what I've called him for years and years, the evil empire, right a block away over there. And O'Neill goes on to say, um, I know how the hell, he's asked, that's a pretty strong word, and he says, yeah, I know, but how the hell did we ever get to a place where we need a consent decree to require to require a supposedly public serving institution to take all comers who gave them the right to differentiate between us it is preposterous it is absolutely nuts. O'Neill said his plan is to destroy Highmark and Allegheny Health. He's had this plan for a long time. He said it in board meetings that he was going to do everything he could basically to destroy them as a competitive force. Why is the board letting him get away with this? So anyway, both men are on board calling out the board at UPMC. Um, 
and they are all being asked to send a certified letter to the Post-Gazette or telling, telling us, yes, I support Jeffrey Romoff in his evil plan. Um, how do we let this, how do we allow this? I avoid UPMC as much as I possibly can. I can't always. I have insurance that they will take. I shifted over to Allegheny Health Network out of a sense of obligation. <laughs> and if you think Allegheny Health Network is somehow a bad, I mean, come on, they're, they're wonderful doctors over there. I have had great care over there. I happened to go to a UPMC gynecologist the other day because that's my gynecologist and I saw a different person in the practice and it was a gentleman and he, without me saying boo, started talking about how dispiriting it was to work in, at UPMC. And he said, it's so sad because there's so many wonderful people here. But the people who work under them so detest. We all detest this person. And all of these respected community members who sit on that board, I am telling you, they need to be called out. I've done it in the past, for all the good it did. Somehow, I think, O'Neill and Roar calling them out uh, carries a little more weight. Do not ever give UPMC in any guise a penny. I came under such attack about, what, seven, eight years ago for saying... Do not give to Children's Hospital. I know. Oh, yeah, you give to them and they make these wonderful things for all those sick children. And Jeffrey Romoff pushes cancer-stricken children out in front of him to get good, kind-hearted people like you to continue to give him money. He needs money. He needs money? I don't think. Children's Hospital believe will be just fine without any support from you. I can assure you. This community needs to turn its back on those SOBs, even if they employ most of the region, or used to, I don't know. The University of Pittsburgh needs to put, have its feet put to the fire. The first words in that UPMC say University of Pittsburgh, although there is no doubt that UPMC is more powerful than the University of Pittsburgh, just like Jeffrey Romoff is more powerful than the board of UPMC, which is supposed to 
rein him in. Don't ever let UPMC tell you their mission is you, caring for you. It is obviously not. It might be the mission of some of their poor employees, some doctor you love. They are evil. That's all I want to say. And I want to thank Karen Kane. Man, lady, well done. Little Tony writes, I wonder how many board members will be responding. <laughs> Zero. So we see these were two former board members who believed in the mission and believed in their responsibilities as a member of the board. And they both resigned in disgust. The people there now, and there's some, I know some of them. I know some of them. And there are otherwise people that I would, you know, think well of. They're, communi- they're all community leaders. and How can they be so obsequious, so irresponsible? And yet they continue to be treated like, you know, fine, upstanding members of the Pittsburgh leadership community. And they are not... Um, another website for the Tubman stamp, by the way, is HTTPS, do you ever have to put that on? Slash, slash, uh, TubmanStamp.com. That's nice and simple. TubmanStamp.com, and that comes directly from the, um, the awesome fund website that gave this guy his first uh, thousand bucks to do it. So, there you go. Well, I was really into all those things I just talked about. hope you were too. Um, another thing that I saw, you know, the economy. The economy, we keep hearing, is so great. And by a lot of measurements, yes, it is. Um, I have mentioned that a lot of the jobs that are being created are shit jobs. Don't pay a living wage. Don't have benefits. A lot of hardworking Americans working two and three jobs. Still no benefits. And now the Federal Reserve Bank <laughs> has done a annual its annual survey about how Americans are actually doing right now in this economy. And what they found is a lot of Americans are, yes, doing very well, very well. But it found this. 40% of Americans 
if faced with a $400 expense, couldn't do it. Guys, 40% of Americans are then either in poverty or living on the edge. They're living above their means or they are just living on the edge. What's $400? I mean, what would that be? That's a, you know, you ever go to a veterinarian lately? That's like a normal vet bill for taking your dog in for shots and finding out he needs a little something else or whatever. $400. Imagine having to get a car fixed. Imagine a, a million things that could come up, a medical things. Uh, imagine um, a, a prescription drug that's like $400 a week or something, right? And you need it for a year. Four in ten Americans, this is from the Federal Reserve, would not be able to cover an unexpected $400 expense with either cash or savings or a credit card. The finding underlines that many Americans remain on the edge financially as this economic expansion is approaching record length and many people have become more optimistic. Fifty-two percent of rural residents say their local economy is But he's going to help those farmers. Did you see those farmers? They don't look like farmers in the Midwest. Farmers in the Midwest wear, you know, farmer hats. They don't wear cowboy hats. Did you see Trump yesterday with those uh, cowboy-looking farmers standing behind him? They were there to listen to be, well, visual props for the president as he announced uh, yet another attempt to bribe them into uh, voting against their interests and uh, keeping their support because he's destroying American agriculture <laughs> with his tariffs. Destroying it, and they know it. And those farmers in their cowboy hats had to stand behind Trump as he called himself a very stable genius who called Nancy Pelosi like a nutcase uh, as he the very stable genius with those poor guys standing behind him, a few of them looking exceedingly uncomfortable, starts calling on all of his staff members, who, by the way, he insisted be at this event, when normally they're not, all of them there, he called on them one by one to tell the nation what a stable genius he was. And they did it. To talk about how he hadn't had a tantrum, that he never raised his voice with the Democrats, that he had not stormed out of the meeting, that he had... And this is the kind of thing 
that total dictators do, right? They put on this show. They force their the people that have sold their souls to them to mouth words saying the leader, the leader is great, the leader is great, he is stable, he is the least intemperate person I've ever known, the most transparent person I've ever known. My God, my God, my God. Okay, that's it. We're out. We're done. And you guys have a wonderful, 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 wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Good luck traveling. And uh, just good luck in general because God knows we need it. And F-U-C-K-U-P-M-C. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.